Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And we are just coming off of the holidays here, Mm -hmm. in which we all, to our shame, had a little bit too much of all the various holiday things, uh, the holiday foods, the holiday visits with family, mm-hmm. um, the holiday travel, the, the listening to the holiday music at the train station as it's piped in to fill everyone with holiday cheer and reduce gang violence. It seems like Christmas lasts for Ever. several months, yes. yeah, every, just forever. But one of the things that's reassuring is when we can find some little bit of Christmas that also has a dark side to it, or I don't know, reassuring <laughs> to me. Be it Krampus and his uh, his relationship with Saint Nick, or in this case, a little something called nutmeg. Which, as you say, it's a little bit of Christmas that you can find all year long. Yeah, I mean, it basically is the smell of Christmas, right? It is, and, and people love it. They love it on their eggnog, on their uh, fancy coffee drinks, yeah, and yeah, in lattes. some savory dishes. Um, it's probably something that you've never considered before as having an evil side, but in fact, it does. Yeah. You also have it in ciders. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like them in cider. I, I love cider, but but there's something about uh, either if it's hard cider or soft cider, and it's got the nutmeg in it. I don't really go for it. But but in other things, uh, like a little bit of uh, of nutmeg on top of some eggnog, a little bit of nutmeg on top of even like a vanilla milkshake, it gives it just a little little punch, right? There's a little there's some heat to it, like a dry heat. Yes, and it's actually that's apt that you say that's a dry heat because it's explained that way in what we say uh, or what we call the four temperaments, um, and we've talked about this before. This idea that there are four different temperaments that rule the human body. This is right. a very old idea: dry, cold, hot, and wet. So um, this spice was actually thought to help with various ailments because the idea is that you have to balance these four temperaments. So when you have this spice, which is kind of like a bitter cinnamon. Um, it is thought, at least uh, in, in some ancient civilizations and cultures, that it could actually have a myriad effects on your body, which we will explore a bit. Yeah, I mean it's in it's in a lot of cool Indian dishes. Uh, it's it's in Coca Cola. Uh, you, you find it all over the place. But it is a is like we said, it's a very old uh, thing using the nutmeg. But some of the more ancient uses of it really relate more to medicinal purposes and mm-hmm. folk medicine purposes, in addition to, uh, in some cases, uh, culinary sources as well. So it has a very interesting history, which we're going to get into, and then it has a very interesting effect on the human body, depending on how much you're taking in. Well, let's get to the nut of it, as it were. Yes, what is nutmeg, right? Is it some fancy uh, spice that, I don't know, comes out of a, a dead sandworm? Is it, is it car- no. carved out of the earth? No, it, it's, <laughs> it's like you said, it's from this nut, right? Yes, and it comes actually from the nutmeg tree, which has grown commercially in Indonesia, Penang Island, Malaysia, and the West Indies. It's an evergreen with thick, dark green leaves and reaches a maximum height of 40 feet. Um, and in some uh, cases or some areas, it actually is shrub-like. And it has fragrant yellow flowers that produce yellow fruit about the size and the shape of apricots. And a lot of people don't realize that it's actually coming from this fruit-bearing tree. Yeah. And so you get you have the fruit. And uh, if you peel away the fruit, or if you're a, like a toucan, toucans apparently love to eat the fruit, peel away the fruit and you'll find 
basically you'll find in here the nutmeg seed. And the nutmeg seed itself is wrapped up in these flaps of, uh, of what is called mace, which is uh, an, another spice derivative is, is uh, obtained from the mace. Is that the kind of netting on it? Yeah, it's kind of like this netting, kind of like an outer, uh, well, not an outer skin, but peel away the first layer of fruit, and then there'll be a, a, another small layer of mace, and then in the very center, that's your nut. That's your nutmeg seed. Okay. And that's what's dried by sunlight for about one to two months. And then when it's dried, it's pretty much like oval in shape and about an inch long. It has a wrinkled surface, and it's got fragrant oil contained in the veins of the seed. And that's what gives it that nice scent, um, that that uh, that aroma that we associate with the holidays. Yeah. Now, how long have people been using nutmeg and things? It's really hard to say. Certainly millennia, just to, to be vague about it. We know that it's been used in Asia for just ages. We know that the ancient Romans used it, but mainly to uh, sprinkle into alcoholic drinks, which which we still do to some degree today. I was mm-hmm. looking around, and, uh, and there were none of the drinks were anything I was particularly familiar with, but there are drinks, uh, mixed drinks and cocktails that call for nutmeg. Fast forward to medieval Renaissance banquets, and mace and nutmeg were both very popular, along with things like cinnamon, which they would just throw into dishes, just large amounts, because I guess at that time maybe the more you could cover up, the better, right? And then... Uh, <laughs> And then in the centuries to follow, it became so fashionable among French gourmets that you'd actually bring your own nutmeg to a banquet so that you could add nutmeg to your to, to your own dish, to your own uh, particular taste. Well, and that was absolutely a sign of wealth, too, at that yes. time, right? Because then this became the spice of the upper classes because it was so highly coveted at that time in the 17th century um, and onward into the 18th century that European traders were selling it at nearly a 6,000% markup. Yeah, this stuff was just like gold. It was. Uh, yeah. uh, we saw one historian who was referring to it as the iPhone of the time. It was just like yeah, so popular. Yeah. Everybody had to have it. I mean, to the point where people had to have it merely because it was a status symbol. Yeah, absolutely. If you were carrying it, that meant that you were a player. Yeah. You were a player at the table. Like if um, they had like rap videos back uh, back in the 16th <laughs> century, you can totally imagine like guys leaning back, uh, you know, showing off their uh, their nutmeg shaker or grinder or wh- whatever method you would uh, you would choose to to really show off your nutmegitude. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying. I'm putting the rap is now like coming together. I'm thinking like a, Ty- a, T- a Tico Brehi kind of a dude, you know, just really, uh, you know, with a total gangster lean kind of going on with a nutmeg shaker. No, I'm yeah. seeing a, a tricorn hat, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Um, so obviously, this becomes a really big deal in the spice trade, along with cloves and cinnamon. Um, <clears throat> but what you begin to see is that there are two different countries that are trying to have some sort of dominancy over this particular nutmeg spice trade, and that is Britain and um, and the Netherlands. Right. And they're both trying to push each other out because, again, we're talking about a 6,000% markup, right? Like, this is yielding great results. I mean, they've got crops that aren't doing nearly as well. Um, they've got, you know, various livestock that's not going to bring in this kind of money. So it becomes a really big deal. Yeah, and at the time, the other thing that makes it really crazy is that as far as anyone knew, there was really only one place to get it. Despite, you know, the fact we mentioned earlier, it was it was in, it was in India. You see it popping up in uh, Ayurvedic uh, traditions. You see it popping up in Asia. The ancient Romans uh, were able to get their hands on it. But as far as the Dutch and uh, the English knew, the only place to get it was to uh, sail out to the Run Islands in the Banda Sea, which is now Eastern Indonesia. And there mm-hmm. were a, a few islands there, and that's where you went to get the nut. Well, and yeah, you know, this is um, this is the part of Eastern Indonesia, 
And what you have going on here is you've got the Dutch, again, trying to be dominant here. And unfortunately, what they're doing at this time in the run islands is that they're telling the inhabitants, if you share any of these seeds with anyone, mm-hmm. we will kill you. And they do, actually. They, they, they actually conduct a bit of a genocide yeah. on this island. Like really straight up horrible, like running people off of cliffs, beheading mm-hmm. people. And then if you, if you weren't actually killed outright, you ran the risk of being deported under horrifying conditions that you probably would not survive. Uh, and, and upwards of like 90% of the native population was just wiped out in the name of this super fashionable spice, which, yeah, yeah. which everyone was into. I mean, maybe on some level because of the, of the, the, the flavor. Sure, it does add a, a unique punch to anything you sprinkle it on. But then so much of it was prestige. And then these various ideas about what it can do for you health-wise, which we'll get into in a little bit. Right, right. So there are various reasons why the Dutch wanted to try to clamp down on the islanders and make sure that they didn't trade these seeds or sell these seeds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, they're absolutely vicious, very bloody. Um but that didn't obviously stop the trade because you have some British people who would come and they would grab the plants and then they would just plant them elsewhere. Um, India is one of the places yeah. that they transported Throughout them the to. Throughout the Caribbean, Brazil, eventually Sri Lanka. Yeah. And, and then you have birds. Yeah. <laughs> birds eating the fruit and then pooping out the seeds in various places along the way. Um, you can't stop the birds, right? It reminds me of Monsanto, which is the seed company here mm-hmm. in the United States that has a patent on certain seeds. And every once in a while, they will try to prosecute farmers who they say are growing their seeds without having actually purchased the seeds when, in fact, those seeds actually were blown by the wind over to their land. So it's sort of, you know, you get into this situation where it's kind of futile to try to control nature like this, but that's what the Dutch did. Yeah, you see commercialism and imperialism uh, smashing head on with natural cycles of of, of biology. Yeah. So it's, it's... Crazy and ultimately tragic, though, that it ends in so much bloodshed. And, of course, this is where Manhattan comes in. Yes, Manhattan. New Amsterdam, as uh, some of our older listeners <laughs> might know, <it>, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the, the Dutch had their little slice of uh, New York here. And uh, eventually this goes to British hands, right? But, but, but what was the trade? What, did, what, was, what was valuable enough that they would give up the, the city that what would become the city that never sleeps. Well, okay, the Dutch are looking at New Amsterdam. They're saying, okay, there's a fur trade fur trade going on here, but it's not nearly as lucrative as this nutmeg thing, and we've got to shut this down. Yeah, because they wanted a, a monopoly <clears throat> on nutmeg. Like, that was yeah. the whole thing. That's why they were vicious enough to wipe out whole populations. They wanted just to lock down all of it. Nobody gets nutmeg except through the Dutch. But then there's this one island out there, what was thought to be the only place in the world to obtain nutmeg. One island is in British hands. So this becomes the trade. This is the, right. this is what they have that the Dutch want more than anything. Yeah, and here's the thing. They say, okay, look, we will give you this entire island, uh, all the fur trading that you could ever want if we can just go ahead and close this loophole on Run Island and just go ahead and give it to us officially. And the British do acquiesce. They're not very excited by the trade, by the way. They're yeah. like, I don't know really what to do about this. Um, but this is how, how Manhattan actually changed hands mm-hmm. uh, via nutmeg. Yeah. All right. All that history stuff. We'll push it to the side because we want to start talking about nutmeg itself and what it does to the human body. Yes. Now, I do want to mention real quick, I, I was I was reading, and apparently nutmeg is still a big deal uh, if you're Dutch. Like Dutch cuisine, it like does call for a lot of nutmeg, a lot of cinnamon, 
you know, a lot of uh, cloves, you know, in, any of these things that used to be uh, really exotic and powerful spices. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they were so important at the time, they've remained an, uh, an essential part of their culinary tradition. So, so even, even though around the 1800s, nutmeg ceased to, to be this super exotic thing, people moved on to getting excited about coffee and uh, chocolate, tobacco, more so than uh, before. So, But like you said... What does it do to the body? What, is, what are the, the health benefits? And this was part of the equation from early on, because when, when, we, when we look back at uh, references to nutmeg, nutmeg was showing up in medical texts and in dietary texts before it was showing up in culinary texts. So it's like people were realizing that this was something useful, this is something that could be used in, in folk medicine uh, to heal various ailments. And it was, and, and it's a wide array of, of ailments that it could apparently or supposedly deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is why it ended up in cookery, right? Because mm-hmm. people were trying to incorporate it into what they ingested. Around the time of the Black Plague, too, people wore bags of the spice around their necks as oh, yeah. protection against mm-hmm. the Black Plague. And that might seem kind of silly, but um, it's plausible that nutmeg actually repelled fleas that carried plague-causing bacteria. So there was something perhaps to this. Um, the smell of nutmeg is actually due to something called isoeucinol, a natural pesticide that the plant uses to defend itself against um, predators like insects and fungi. So it's very possible that this was a sort of pesticide that was worn around the neck to ward off fleas. Cool. And uh, another big one was dysentery, or as the, the Brits called it back then, the bloody flux which sounds even more dreadful, but it was believed that, that uh, nutmeg could help with that. So Yeah, and then uh, according to doctors Joseph Pizzorno and Michael Murray, uh, authors of the Encyclopedia of Healing Foods, nutmeg oil inhibits over 25 species of bacteria, including E. coli. As far as nutrients go, uh, nutmeg is a good source of vitamin A, vitamin C, iron, copper, uh, also uh, protein, omega-6 fatty acids, dietary fiber. So there's even if you... If you discount some of the wilder claims, there's a lot of really good stuff going on in, in nutmeg. It's good for liver health. Researchers even today have concluded that, that it ha- has a liver protective actions that, were, that are due to its ability to reduce inflammatory immune chemicals mm-hmm. in the human body that would otherwise potentially harm the liver. And uh, it's also been found to relieve symptoms of pain and inflammation. So it could also help with other various symptoms, if not e- even the core ailments, you know. So there are some definite health advantages just straight straight up on the table that nutmeg can offer, whether it was actually able to, to cure any kind of dysentery you might have or plague. Well, maybe not, but it is a healthy thing to ingest, at least in small quantities. Ah, and that's the key, right? Right. And see, that's when, if we had sound effects, we would have, like, lightning and thunder cracking. <laughs> and when we begin to talk about nutmeg, the vice. Yeah, and this is this is where the where it really gets interesting, and I think this was ultimately what initially drew our interest uh, and certainly continues to draw a lot of people's interest, the idea of nutmeg as a narcotic, nutmeg as an illicit substance that can do all sorts of strange things to you despite being just right up there in the spice rack, uh, totally <laughs> legal, yeah. and, uh, and and just, you know, just glaring at you and I guess tempting you to some weird degree. Um, Robert. Yeah. Is that what you hear every time you open the spice cabinet? Yes. Now, we do need to mention, though, before we even get into it, just in case someone wants to run off and grab nutmeg, do not do it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because because as we're going to discuss here, taking nutmeg for some sort of uh, illicit pharmaceutical response is, for the most part, a stupid idea. Uh, because uh, there seems to be two categories, right, uh, right, when people take nutmeg. 
for recreational purposes. Mm -hmm. Either it makes them horribly sick or it gives them just a really horrible time for about 48 hours where they're basically just delirious. Or or there's a third category where you kind of get both. You, you're, you're delirious and you're just violently ill uh, and so, sometimes even hospitalized. Yeah, I mean, they kind of you kind of should look at it as like the runs high, right? Yeah. So the first question that comes to mind is when did people start figuring this out, that if you ingest a lot of nutmeg, and when we say a lot of nutmeg, uh, we're talking like spoonfuls of the stuff or like a whole container of nutmeg. When did people first get in, get this idea in their head that they, they should try it or then if, or that once they've tried it, that it does have some, some sort of strange effect on the human body? Well, um, from Atlantic Magazine uh, article, My Nutmeg Bender by Wayne Curtis, he says that the Benedictine abbess Hildegard of Bingen, nice, Bingen, yeah. noted the mind-altering effects of nutmeg all the way back to the 12th century. So we've got some documentation that people were dabbling around with it then. Apparently in Ayurvedic medicine, ancient Indian medicine, it was known as Mata Shanda, or narcotic fruit. And uh, it was sometimes chewed with beetle to uh, excite one, or it was um, actually consumed orally to excite the libido. Ah, yeah. And this is is an interesting area, the idea that, that, okay, if you take nutmeg, uh, it could potentially enhance your sex life. And, and again, a very old idea. We see it uh, in, in ancient India. And you see it come up again in various other texts as people set out to try and figure out exactly what nutmeg can do for the body when it's taking, taken in abnormal doses. There was a man by the name of Andrew Board, and he had a book called uh, Dietary of Health, uh, in which he, he says, generally, nutmegs be good for them, which have cold in their head and doth comfort the sight and the brain. But he, uh, interestingly enough, he's a, he, he was a celibate monk, you know, <laughs> vow of, of chastity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also suggested that nutmeg dampen sexual desire, uh, which, which re- reportedly, according to, to some of the, uh, the dirt on this guy, it didn't really work all that well for him. Or maybe he was trying to tamp down so much desire that it, n- even large quantities of nutmeg didn't help. But then there's another interesting, I guess you would say nutmeg psychonaut, the Earl of Dorset, uh, Charles Sackville. And uh, this guy, this was the late 1600s, and uh, we, we see a reference to him in uh, Samuel Pepys' diary. Charles Sackville would uh, would regularly take a spoonful of nutmeg before bedtime, and he claimed that this would fill his dreams with all manner of illicit scenarios, and then he'd wake up uh, in the morning rather excited by it. Uh, and, and according to uh, Samuel Pepys, um, Sackville eventually wound up in the slammer after a night of, quote, running up and down all night almost naked through the streets. So... Um, <laughs> All right. But, but um, then again, to what extent is this just a rather excitable guy anyway? Right, right. And he takes it, you know, the, the placebo effect could be in full uh, full effect here. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no evidence that it really is an aphrodisiac, but researchers have found it to increase mating behaviors in mice, and it's known to stimulate the circulatory system and increase blood flow, so well, it stands to reason that it could help in terms of sexual drive. But, and, and again, we're talking about large doses here. Because yes. generally the consensus is small doses of, of nutmeg on a regular basis, as in the kind of nutmeg that you would use in cooking or putting on top of your coffee or the occasionally a mixed drink or Christmas cider or what have you. Mm-hmm. All that is perfectly fine. It's not going to hurt you at all, and it will probably have beneficial effects. 
But, but it's the ingestion of, let's say, a whole nutmeg yes. seed, right? This right. Is or where, a huge spoonful every night, that kind of thing. Right. This is where we begin to see some, some of the hallucinogenic effects of it. And you had already noted some of the possible side effects, including loose bowels, vomiting, accelerated heart rate. But also, according to Wayne Curtis in that article, My Nutmeg Bender, Nutmeg burps at 20-minute intervals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, people, this is not sexy stuff here. Right. Um, this is probably not something that you want to take and then, uh, you know, have a date. In fact, you don't want to take it at all. And over and over again, we saw accounts of this of people saying this is not really um, a hallucinatory experience that is exalted in any way. Yeah, this is not desirable experience. This is, I mean, because there are also things like giddiness, laughing fits, yes, fantasies, but also nausea, the heart palpitations, hallucinations. Generally speaking, there seem to be two categories of people. The vast majority are the people who try it once Mm -hmm. and then realize it was a stupid thing they did Mm -hmm. and they never do it again. And then there's a very small category of people who were just really, maybe there's there's an obsessive personality about them. Or they, or they have just a, an inflated idea of what it's doing for them. So you see people like Charles Sackville, who at least claims to have taken large doses of it on a regular basis, thinking or to some extent getting some sort of illicit uh, use out of it. Or uh, I, I was looking around on modern message boards, and I ran across one individual who was just really gung-ho about figuring out a way how to, like, how to break the nutmeg code, like how to yeah. how to combine nutmeg with other substances so that he could get this trippy experience without any of the side effects, which it just seems like he was putting a lot of work into a uh, just a, an undesirable goal. I, I, so, so by and large, you see people who take it once and never take it again. You can look on YouTube and you'll find people who stupidly decide they're going to take the the nutmeg challenge because there's a lot of that. Have you are you familiar with this scenario? I think there was like a cinnamon challenge, and now, and there's like stuff like wasabi challenge. Yes, where it's just idiots taking spoonfuls fulls of things and choking them down, and generally choking because you're not supposed to have a spoonful of wasabi. Your body knows a spoonful of wasabi is a bad idea. Your body yeah. knows that a spoonful of nutmeg is a bad idea, and that's why you literally have to choke it down if you're taking large amounts of it. So people inevitably, generally teenagers with a webcam, end up doing this. And just have an awful time because you, at the very least, you're gonna it's gonna feel nasty going down. Uh, you're gonna and you're gonna feel totally out of sorts for something like 48 hours. It takes yeah. about four hours to set in, and then you're looking at 48 yeah. hours, even three days of just feeling weird and awful and zombie-like and sluggish. You might feel, maybe you'll feel a little bit like you're flying, but you'll also have diarrhea. So well, and that's what Wayne Curtis details in his article in Atlantic Magazine. I mean, he says that, you know, that it took effect on him and for a couple of days it took a while to to shake off. And um, he says that its hallucinogenic properties are likely from the molecules of mistresin and alamicin. Mm-hmm. And mistresin is in nutmeg and has a chemical structure that shares similarities with mescaline, uh, amphetamine and ecstasy. And in the Dictionary of Hallucinations, it says that nutmeg has been reported to mediate visual, auditory, tactile, and uh, kinesthetic hallucinations, notably the sense of floating, uh, as you had already mentioned. So what I think is really interesting is that Curtis actually went to the trouble of trying this to see what sort of effect it would have on him. And before we discuss that, um, I wanted to point out that 
people have resorted to using this, it looks like in cases where they could not obtain other substances. And I'm talking about in prison because there are a lot of rumors that, um, you know, people have used it in prisons uh, to, to try to get high. And in fact, in Malcolm X's biography, he says that a penny matchbook full of nutmeg had the kick of three or four reefers. Again, the, you know, this experience is going to vary from person to person, but largely what people are reporting is that they're not having a, a mellow high or anything like that. We're, again, we're talking vomit and diarrhea here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's important that we're talking about uh, prison scenarios cause, because this is also a scenario where individuals are going to be kind of desperate for any kind of sensory change. You know, they, they want a different right. experience than the, the thing that they're having every single day. And if various other forms of stimulation are withheld from them, then they may have no other choice uh, in, in their view to try things like nutmeg. Uh, so in, in many prisons to this day, it's still, you, it's difficult to find nutmeg in the kitchen because they're just not going to stock it because somebody's going to end up taking it. But again, it's it's just not going to be a pleasant time. Um, there are also stories that uh, jazz musicians, uh, particularly Charlie Parker, reportedly uh, partook of nutmeg. Uh, supposedly, um, I mean, supposedly nutmeg wasn't the only uh, thing that Charlie Parker took. But it's just uh, it's again this this is on no one knows for sure. Like, like I was reading uh, um, one one of our uh, articles we were looking at for this, they were talking about uh, it is kind of like a mis- mystery that nobody wants to talk about. Like the like the jazz musicians, the secret of jazz is nutmeg, which I don't buy for a second. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that uh, it it really didn't even become known in the Western world really mm-hmm. uh, until I think the '60s. And one of the first people to ferret it out was Dr. Andrew Weil, who at the time was submitting his thesis for honors in biology at Harvard University, and he was he he uh, he wanted to really make an inquiry into nutmeg as a narcotic and a hallucinogenic. And uh, he kind of sort of went through the whole thing, and it's very interesting But because before then, again, people didn't really think of it as having any sort of hallucinogenic properties. But you probably know Dr. Andrew Weil now is uh, someone who has been at the – at the sort of forefront of what you would say integrative medicine is mm-hmm. and really looking at these various natural um, herbs and plants to try to uh, integrate into medicine and get some sort of benefit from. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating paper uh, that, that a young while put together. Um, and it's also amusing, too, because there's so many beatnecks in it. He keeps talking about he beatnecks does. that he knows. Yeah, um, yeah. One, one particular that I, I encounter that he mentioned because he mentions talking to this guy and that guy you know doesn't use any names uh but particularly he's interested in, in the at one point in the article he's interested in individuals who normally take uh marijuana but when they can't obtain marijuana then supposedly they turn to nutmeg which as we've already illustrated clearly nutmeg is not equatable with marijuana use but uh, but he was just asking around. It's like, is this true when you can't have uh, marijuana? Do you have nutmeg? And there's one Harvard graduate in particular that uh, Weil talked to who answered him by saying, oh, here, step over here to your uh, spice cabinet. And he opened the spice cabinet, and he, he points at all the, the various things, and he says, pretty much everything in here but MSG, if you take enough of it, it's going to have some sort of weird effect on mm-hmm. your body. Uh, you know, if you're... If, Heart palpitations, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It could be cinnamon. It could be paprika. But... It, if you take enough of anything, right. and, and certainly a spice, because uh, the spice is going to be a very potent uh, substance that it, it just we don't use in large quantities. But if you consume a large quantity, you're going to get some sort of a reaction, probably not a good one. Yeah, I also like that paper too because you can see all of his handwritten molecular compounds, yes. all of all of his drawings. Very quaint. Yeah. 
Uh, but yes, so it's, uh, I think that kind of gives you an idea of, of how, again, it's not this, uh, wonderful high that people are seeking. There's probably uh, a reason why it's not something that is uh, done in drug culture a lot, right? Yeah. Not so great. Uh, back to Wing Curtis in the article. He talks about his nutmeg bender. Let me just read a little bit of his own experience. He says that both dubious and intrigued, I grated up a whole nutmeg and part of another, producing about one and a half tablespoons of powder. I swallowed it in one small spoonful at a time, chasing each gulp down with water. Um, he says, consumed in that quantity, nutmeg loses its yuletide goodness and tastes like turpentine. Uh, perhaps my dosage was too low or my nutmeg too desiccated. I did go through an early giddy phase when everything seemed immensely amusing, including the shingles on my neighbor's house. And I felt a slight floating sensation when walking around the neighborhood. But mostly, I just felt out of sorts for a couple of days. When I tried to write, my words sometimes became unmoored from my thoughts. Though, to be fair, this happens even without the influence of nutmeg. Uh, you know, again, not so not so exciting description here. A lot of trouble uh, going through trying to to get some sort of high out of that. Yeah, it's not you don't you don't encounter romantic uh, descriptions of nutmeg use. It's just it's generally it's generally <laughs> a failure or or a real failure. I mean, and then there have been cases where individuals um, you know have been hospitalized or in some cases uh, possibly died from using it. The chances of dying from nutmeg. Uh, Poisoning are, are pretty slim, but it's it's always it's, it's always a possibility, right. and certainly it's also possible to uh, for there to be drug uh, interactions as well. So, I mean, everybody's body's different. It depends on uh, you know what's going on inside you, what other substances you're taking, what your particular health situation is. So, I think know. what we're saying is, kids, just yeah. keep it on the top of your coffee. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Just a, cu- a couple sprinkles will do. Yeah, or uh, apparently, as the the joy of cooking says, use it sparingly but often. So probably a good good place to leave it but but still i will admit even though even though i am i would i will absolutely never try and choke down a whole bunch of nutmeg in mm-hmm. the hopes of stuff weird happening and uh, to me and spending 48 hours on a toilet um i <laughs> the next time i sprinkle nutmeg on it i will i will certainly have that in the back of my mind i'll feel a little cooler using my nutmeg because i'm like ah oh, look at me i'm like a i'm like a dutch aristocrat see i'll just think about the bathroom thing yeah. my mind will go straight to the gutter <laughs> All right, so there you go. Uh, that is actually a, a nice little precursor for a couple of episodes that are coming out. Uh, so look for them. We are going to talk more specifically about hallucinogens, shamans, all sorts of good stuff um, in the various ways that we try to manipulate the mind. All right. Well, uh, on that note, let's call over the robot and look at some listener mail. Here's one from our listener, uh, Marcio. Marcio writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. I'm a listener from Portugal who, for obvious reasons, doesn't observe Thanksgiving, but, but of course still listen to the turkey episode. You may recall the part about the origin of the bird's name and how the British called everything Oriental Turkish, uh, including something that was merely traded by Eastern merchants. Interestingly enough, kind of the same thing happened with the Portuguese. In the 16th century, Spanish America was properly referred to as Peru. When the Spanish first brought that bird to Europe, we called it Peru, and it's still that name. It still has that name today. At least uh, we got the continent right. Thank you for the podcast. I'm a fan. Have fun, uh, Marcia. So that's interesting, and certainly that ties in nicely with this episode, uh, in which we talked about international trade and how it affects our understandings of, of various products. You know. Also, uh, on the Thanksgiving episode, we uh, we ruminated in, in that particular episode about the possibility of a, a killer turkey 
horror movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, lo plausible, and be- right? Plausible, yes. And lo and behold, it exists. A number of you pointed out that there is a movie by the name of Thanks Killing. Thanks Killing, <laughs> that appears to to star a. Um, a kind of skexy like evil turkey puppet that mm-hmm. goes around uh, killing people, and it's uh, it's currently available on Netflix streamings, which is uh, which is pretty cool. So yeah, it is out there. You should totally check out the trailer at the very least. It's it's very funny stuff. So there you have it, a uh, little listener mail there. If you would like to write in with your thoughts on nutmeg, um, we would love to hear about them. Again, do not actually try and take a bunch of nutmeg and then expect that we're going to read your thoughts about it on the on, on the podcast. Shaking my head now. Yeah, absolutely not. But we would love. I would particularly love to hear any of you who are Dutch or who have had a, a lot of Dutch cuisine. I'd love to know about the nutmeg in that culinary tradition. That kind of thing I would love to hear about. Anything else nutmeg-related that you may have to share that doesn't involve spooning down nutmeg. If you want to share this kind of thing with us, you can find us on Facebook and Tumblr. We are, we are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is BlowTheMind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the 2012 Toyota Camry. It's ready. Are you?